so we got a little off track with uh, we were watching uh, shows that predated Monty Python and then that led to that weird kids show that Eric Idle was on and that led us on a whole odyssey of watching kids shows man though that's one thing that's weird is uh, you know the podcast download numbers are pretty consistent just whoever's subscribed is subscribed where YouTube is uh, up and down, where, uh, you know, people just dip into YouTube randomly, so all the numbers are wildly different, but you can tell when something is catching on right away, and that you can't do that on television episode we did has way more views than usual, just for no particular reason, people just, you like can't that do that. Show. Yeah, they just remember it. It's interesting, too, how the YouTube thing happens, where, uh, you know, it'll kind of like recommend a video, and then if people watch 30 seconds of it and turn it off, it stops recommending it. But if people actually watch it, it just keeps recommending it to people. Oh, and that one got some comments of like, I'm 43 and I used to love this show. And it's like, hey, buddy, me too. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> you know? So, uh, yeah, obviously, people my exact age are, they're looking for people to uh, remember. You can't do that on television, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's like our, because like there's Billy Bunter. And uh, the Carry On movie we watched. And then I think you can't do that on television is already like the number third most viewed thing. Oh, yeah, but that I could see kids just being wild for that show. Yeah. Because it just does such unexpected, stupid things that they're, they're kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, I like it makes sense in some ways. So, yeah, I'm not like shocked that that's, you know, one that, that caught on. But you just never know. It's always so random because uh, it wasn't Pee Wee. It wasn't... Uh, fucking friendly giant maybe that's not surprising <laughs> but anyway finally after that divergence i guess i was gonna say too i wonder because this podcast is so random like just so much random shit that we watch and you know it started as just me phoning home when i was traveling so the podcast is called calling home even though that makes no sense based on the, the TV you stuff. Are yeah, the TV stuff we're doing now is just that's what it was, and then we reconfigured it for these Corona times. I wonder what it would have been called, like if we just started this podcast as the TV podcast, because there's no particular unifying theme except usually it's old shows. I have no idea. Except originally when we started it, it was the origins of television yeah i guess Those that's shows. it probably just would have called it the history of tv or something yeah. but uh anyway speaking of our random everything being just different from week to week so we're getting back to the monty python stuff we were doing before so we did uh it was like the two kind of halves of monty python half of them were on it's Finally, the 1948 show. That's not what it's called. I always call it the wrong title because I cannot remember what the stupid fucking title of that show was. And the other half were on Do Not Adjust Your Set. And they kind of came together. But uh, there's a couple little stragglers that I'm like, where did they, how did they get involved with all this? So this week it's Michael Palin. And the main difference with the Michael Palin story is the other guys all met at that uh, Cambridge Footlights comedy thing. That's where... Graham Chapman and John Cleese met and then Eric Idle came in a year or two after them but was also part of that where Michael Palin did not go to Cambridge he went to Oxford oh. <laughs> yeah and uh, he was performing at a university Christmas party where Terry Jones who the other the Monty Python guy I always forgot for some reason was also a student there and saw him perform so they started writing together and then they ended up writing together for a bunch of different British TV shows 
so there's a bunch of stuff I could have picked from. There's the Ken Dodd show, the Billy Cotton Band show, the Illustrated Weekly HUD. I have no idea if any of these are still around or available because I didn't look them up because the one that kept coming up that all the arrows kept pointing toward was the Frost Report, who uh, this guy named uh, David Frost is his name. Frost, yes. David Frost was a famous announcer in the UK. Right. In the uh, late 60s, early 70s. Yeah, from what I was researching, he certainly seemed to be. He has a very long Wikipedia page, but I, I had never heard of him. But but it seems like he sort of pioneered this kind of, uh, like, satirical news shows, you know? Like, uh, what's that one we have now that's really popular? Um, well, I mean, in Canada, we had This Hour is 22 Minutes. And then the American one is called The Daily Show. That type of thing is what it, I, the, the sense I got from this Frost report and a lot of the stuff he did at this time was, uh, yeah, like making fun of, I think there was a show he was on called like, this was the week that was, you know, <laughs> just dumb shit like that. And this show was uh, kind of hard to find because on the BBC website, they've got their BBC web player. Some stuff's on it, some stuff isn't. So this one is not on the BBC web player. But it's interesting because it says when was the last time they aired this show on normal BBC. And it was Christmas 2009 they threw one on. <laughs> so it's been a while. And the it ran for two seasons, 26 episodes, 1966 and 1967. The entire second season is missing. One of these things where somebody fucked up, they didn't keep the archives, they have season one, but season two is just gone. But one thing that's kind of neat is people at home recorded the audio with because you know some people had it's probably still quite cutting edge at the time but some people had audio recording capabilities nobody had video yet because v- vcrs and stuff weren't a thing but enough people sat around recording the audio of shows that every episode from season two is still around in audio form just with no video and those are all on youtube but I was like, I didn't want to really just sit here and listen to it like it's a radio show, you know? So it took some some searching, but I finally found one episode from season one that's the proper episode. It's called The Frost Report on Trends from 1966. And uh, it's very poor quality, but beggars can't be choosers, you know? At least I found something. Well, you picked a very famous man. He's well known in the well. I don't know among people your age, right. not not at all. People uh, my age have never heard but, of him. But, but you're a Canadian. But in Britain, right. in Britain, he was he's uh, yeah he's really really well known. So this particular show, the Frost Report, because yeah, the little I looked into him, I didn't focus on him that much because I'm more focused on the Monty Python guys. But uh, yeah, like I said, very long Wikipedia, lots of different shows this guy was on. Uh, this one in particular introduced John Cleese to television. This is the first time John Cleese was. Uh, in the sketches and stuff. He was one of the main cast members. And every member of Monty Python, except Terry Gilliam, worked behind the scenes on this show at some point. All of them. So, so yeah, this seems like the ultimate pre-Monty Python show where everyone came together and then they really came together and solidified on Monty Python. Uh, oh, Marty Feldman was also a writer for this show, as well as two of the three members of the goodies <laughs> that we watched. So yeah, just everybody was involved with David Frost. So yeah, very influential in that sense as well. So uh, because I only found this one episode, I did dig up also just what was on YouTube. The same way with, uh, sometimes there's like the famous sketch, like, oh yeah, it was uh, the four Yorkshiremen or whatever from 
at last the 1948 show similar thing here the most famous sketch from this show is called the social class sketch so that's on youtube and then there's a couple of random sketches that michael palin wasn't usually on screen but the couple of times he was somebody clipped those out and put those on youtube so i figure we'll watch these famous sketches from the show and then the one full episode i could find and see how it goes so yeah that's what we got this week the frost report Yeah, I'm definitely glad that uh, I found those little random clips of the little John Cleese sketch and the Michael Palin sketches just so I could see what David Frost's features were so I'd know what he looks like because, yeah, we've never watched a show ever with such low quality. Mm, That's fucked quality. up. Very topical show. I mean, at the time, if you were watching this in 1966, that those things probably had a whole lot of meaning. Right. But watching it now, all these years later... I mean, I'd say it was like, it was definitely not a bad show. It definitely, but it's it sort of, it's like the, uh, so it's just Frost giving these like funny monologues and then split up with sketches. And it was kind of split where I felt like the monologues were like uh, clever humor. You know, you don't laugh so much. You're just like, ah, oh, that's clever. That's a clever turn of phrase. But then the sketches were surprisingly bizarre. Some wacky shit. Like the thing about, it's all about trends. So like the new trend in karate. And it's like, you know, like cutting the, the cake at the wedding, but it's a car, <laughs> like Kung Fu cuts it. But, but it was very reminiscent of what would become Monty Python. Yeah, or like specifically, yeah, that weird sketch where John Cleese, he had bought a bunch of ferrets and I wanted to resell them at a higher price. So he wants ferrets to become a trend and he's demonstrating all the great things about ferrets and it leads to him just pulling a little stiff, presumably dead ferret out of his pocket and poking a guy in the face with it. Like a fun, it's a fun game. It's like, yeah, this is really like the two sides didn't really fit you're making these kind of funny dry remarks about culture and then you're poking a guy with a dead ferret <laughs> but but very similar to the dead parrot yeah yeah skit very much so and uh and yeah it's like funny that we've had because i i don't know if they even did canned laughter yet i don't know when that started it's you know generally actual audiences and the trend we've been noticing is that the audiences are not kind. There's a lot of these shows where they're hardly laughing. This audience was loving this shit. I guess David Frost was probably pretty well known at this point, And I'm guessing he just has a lot of goodwill. Because, uh, again, not a bad show. Pretty funny. But they were dying laughing at everything. Like, they were being a lot more kind than I'm used to these British audiences being. But, but, they, but the references to things, they obviously knew what those were. And they, and they meant something to them. Right. So give a good chuckle whereas we're like yeah okay right. <laughs> don't know who that is don't know what that's about but you got the sense that it was somebody that they you know it really was somebody that they were talking about somebody who had some meaning to the public in that and, and very era. much like uh, yeah like our modern equivalents of this type of show like if you went and watched this hour is 22 minutes from 1996 it's all gonna be you yeah. know yeah, you watch it enough years later and uh, the references don't mean anything right anymore 
So yeah, it's, it's, uh, that, that show is kind of one of those right in the middle. It's like, yeah, it seems like a pretty well-made show, pretty good, pretty decent, but uh, not like inspiring of like, oh wow, sure is funny. Sure wish I could watch more of those. It's like, yeah, it's a shame a bunch of those are missing, but like getting the taste of it, I feel like is plenty. It's nice to know about it and that it was a thing. And uh, David Frost, I mean, apparently it is weird that I don't know him. It seems like he's had his fingers in a lot of pies. He's a well-known, he, he is well-known. The last thing I remember him being tied into is there's a movie made a few years ago called Nixon, and it's on Richard Nixon, after Richard Nixon was uh, kicked out of the White House for fraud. And this is years later, just before Dick Nixon dies. And, and the, the movie is based on an interview and him kind of giving his his feelings from a personal standpoint of what happened, and he he refuses to just let anybody interview him. He insists that it be David Frost, and there's a character who plays David Frost who does that, and apparently it's based on reality. I mean, if Nixon would only talk to David Frost, like, did he become more of a less of a comedian and more of a real reporter later? Or I think he I think he covered. He wasn't just comedian. I think he covered all kinds of stuff for the BBC. But yeah, I guess as far as though our, uh, how we know we're coming to these shows as like the introduction of Monty Python, it does make sense when you learn that every single Monty Python guy, as well as, as well as Marty Feldman and the goodies, like I'm not surprised to hear that all these people were on the writing staff because, because especially those monologue parts, like, it's like the uh, the little monologue you'd have at the start of a late night talk show, except it, it just went all the way through. I mean, they must have had to write minimum thirty jokes for that, like a lot. <laughs> so, so it's not too surprising that all of these people worked behind the scenes on this show, because yeah, obviously you need uh, you need a lot of bodies in there to get that number of of little clever. See, gags. we we when we watch a series like Monty Python, we kind of think it came out of the woodwork by itself like it was just a, a single sole creation of those people but obviously not it was a build-up from all kinds of things all kinds of shows all kinds of people all kinds they all seem to be on kind of the same wavelength i wonder too yeah because like that all the monty python guys were on all these different shows because like i was saying with uh, michael palin and uh, terry jones you know that they worked as writers on a bunch of these shows so yeah, it's probably a relatively small pool of people working in British TV at the time, but it's probably also not coincidence that they all seem to have come from Cambridge and Oxford and stuff, because like, you're not just going to pick random people that show up and give you their CV, you know? It's like, if you've got comedy groups at prestigious universities, of course you're going to pick those people, so that's an even smaller pool. So yeah, when you look at it that way... It's, I guess, not necessarily so surprising that those people are the ones that all funneled in to TV at the time. Although, I mean, I, I don't know specifically, like, the goodies and stuff. I don't know where they came from, but but it doesn't, it wouldn't shock me <laughs> if ever everyone came down these similar. And I guess it makes sense, too, even as an employer. I mean, I hear people say that all the time, even now, about uh, university degrees. It's not so much that you really learned anything or that the university degree is actually worth that much. It's just proof that you you were willing to give a shit. <laughs> you know, you went through the effort of paying for school and sticking with it and getting the grades. So people are more comfortable to hire you because you've already demonstrated that you can buckle down and do some work. Where not, not that the actual thing is that important. So it could be a similar thing here where who knows if the Footlights and the Oxford Comedy 
team are necessarily the funniest people, but they're a safe bet. <laughs> you know, if you're running BBC and ITV and you just want to make sure you pick some people that aren't going to dick you around, why and not take that? if you've got two famous universities who have comedy groups, comedy troops, whatever, um, yeah, they're probably very aware of the other universities' comedy troupe. Right. You know, like they're not just saying, well, I'm from Cambridge, blah, 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 blah. If they hear or see something from an Oxford group, they're probably like, hey, we've got to go check those guys out, see what our competition's like. Right. And that would also draw them together. Yeah. And then it all came together into the glorious, uh, <laughs> the glorious Monty Python. Like Monty Python feels like it's where there was finally enough momentum behind all of this for it to really, really stick and really break out of just being a regional British thing and... So yeah, as far as uh, yeah, the pre Monty Python stuff, like I feel like that that pretty much does it. I feel like I could dig in deeper and find some more of these shows, but uh, I mean, the Frost Report's a good example of that. None of these were especially well archived, and that one especially. Like this is just this stuff's just hard to find. But I feel like that's a pretty good, pretty good baseline for Monty Python at this point. You know, there's. I'm sure I could find more shows, but I think that that we've got a pretty yeah. good picture. So we're getting the idea that they're starting off as university people, just kind of a, a part of that. Ex, that would be their extracurricular stuff. Then the BBC gets drawn in, and when the BBC becomes part of that realm, there's where you get Monty Python spinning off. Right. Because it's not just got the university people who would. Normally they do drama in university, then they'd finish university and that would be it. They'd go their own separate ways. But by getting the BBC involved, which is government paid for, government supported, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then, you're, it, then it holds them together and binds them together. And you see them on various BBC shows and then eventually Monty Python. Yeah, I think the only guy, because especially like I was saying how everybody worked behind the scenes on this show, so really the only one that's kind of missing is Terry Gilliam because he was American. He's American, yeah. And I feel like it wouldn't even be the same thing, even if I was to go research him, because he wasn't really an on-screen guy. Very rarely was he on screen. So even if I was to dig into him, it would be like, maybe he did some animations for some show or something. So yeah, I feel like that's pretty much it. We pretty much covered all of the Monty Python folk. So, uh, and, and again, it's weird how we got to this is just because somebody recommended to me that we watch Marty Feldman's Comedy Machine from 1971. So, uh, I don't know, next week we could either do that or we could just watch some Monty Python. I guess at this point, maybe I should just go grab some Monty Python oh, episodes. Oh, watch Monty Python. We gotta finish it off. Yeah. You just can't talk about them and then just stop. Right, and then, and then we'll do the Marty Feldman Comedy Machine after that. So interesting too, I mean, I guess we'll get into it more next week if we watch some Monty Python, but uh, how... In hindsight, you can just take these things for granted. Like, yeah, just Monty Python, of course. We all know Monty Python. But at the time, I mean, how is Monty Python any different than these other shows? They're all just shows. They're all just like throwing things at the wall and hoping something sticks. And I'm sure that they didn't have any sense that Monty Python would necessarily be the one. If these other shows all fizzled out, why wouldn't this one? And then you just get that one that just... Or... uh, like from a little bit later, from like my generation, I always think of like Star Wars. Like I'm not a real big Star Wars fan, but man, when you see the other movies of the time that weren't Star Wars, like Logan's Run or whatever, and it's just all these different things that nobody gives a fuck about. And then for whatever reason, here's the one. Here's the one that and no one can stop talking about. Here's the Monty Python. Here's the Star Wars. Just this thing happens that just... 
or fantasy books like here's lord of the rings you know yep. <laughs> it's just i don't know it's it's or harry potter there's so many random kids books that no one remembered and no one cared about and then you get that one that just and there's no way to predict that that just just happens but monty python is absolutely one of those things that uh, just yeah just yeah. dwarfed everything else it's a phenomenon yeah like I, I think literally a billion times more well known and more popular than any of these <laughs> other shows that these people were involved with so yeah next week we'll watch some Monty Python maybe we'll do just because uh, we do it once in a while with these shows like watch one from the start watch one from the end I mean as far as I know Monty Python is fully available maybe I'll just try to get the very first one and the very last one just, yeah, okay. <laughs> why sure. not cool tune in next week <laughs> Finally, finally, <laughs> yeah, finally. We're getting to the big M- MP.